Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, everyone. Welcome to episode 90 of the OCR Underground Show. Uh, I am SGX coach Mike Diebler, and as always, thank you for tuning in and making this a part of your OCR training. Uh, my goal is simple. I want to give you some insight on how you can train a little bit smarter uh, for your next OCR. If you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, make sure you head on over to OCRunderground.com slash episode dash 90, and I'll put uh, the summary and all the links to any uh, anything mentioned in today's episode. Well, I wanted to get this episode out quickly while I'm uh, in between uh, traveling. Uh, recently, I got back from uh, Washington State. I got a really cool experience. I was teaching uh, a three-day course up for uh, the, the Navy, which was really cool, getting to go on base and work with the soldiers and, and uh, teach uh, some of the courses with functional movement systems. So really cool experience. Um, excited I was able to to have that opportunity. Um, I, I think the really cool thing about it is um, the things that I was teaching to you know the soldiers to, to be used on other soldiers is something that I use every day with with my clients and whether that's you know more elite athlete clients or whether that's just somebody who's looking to lose a little bit of weight feel better um, and um, you know just just get, get a little more fit uh, because we're looking for you know the body's ability to just move and and whether you're an athlete or just just somebody trying to to get a little bit healthier you need to have minimal movement abilities and so using some of these tools that we we were discussing you can use it on such a wide range of clientele and and really the the ultimate goal is we're trying to improve performance right whatever performance means for you specifically is obviously going to differ but as a as a professional it's cool to find well what's potentially the biggest bottleneck that you're facing is it maybe a, a mobility issue is it you know um, a control issue a core issue there's so many things that can limit your ability um, and finding these and finding those opportunities to help people is really cool so um, if you've never done anything like a functional movement screen or fundamental capacity screen they're really cool um, I'll put some links in the show notes, show notes, but this is essentially the courses that I was teaching on how to, how to do this with clients to, to find those bottlenecks and find out why aren't they getting stronger? Why are they continuing to deal with injuries? Um, why aren't they seeing an improvement in their performance? Even though they're training, we might find uh, some pretty insightful information with some of these, these different tests. So really cool experience. I'm glad I had that opportunity there. And then uh, now I'm actually going to be heading out to Jamaica. So I'm going to be heading there for uh, celebrate my wife's 40th birthday. I don't know if I'm supposed to say her age on here. Luckily, she probably won't listen, so I, I hopefully won't get in too much trouble. But we're going to head out there and um, have some fun and uh, really excited about it. As much of a pain in the butt it is to travel now, especially out of the country, all the stuff you have to do. Um, I know it's going to be worth it once once we're there, kicking back and, and relaxing. Um, I'm sure I'll still get a few workouts in, 
um, just because I'm a little little weird and a little crazy and, and don't want to miss too much. Um, but I definitely am not going to stress about it. Just going to head down there, have some fun, uh, get a little sweat going, get out on some good hikes and, and enjoy the country there. So uh, really looking forward to that. But I wanted to make sure I got uh, one more episode out before I, I kind of check out for a little while. Um, so in uh, today's episode, as always, I have some great stuff I wanted to chat with you about. Uh, no guest on today, so we're just going to have a little bonus section uh, with me on some more topics that, that I want to cover with you. Uh, up first, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, I'm going to talk about uh, something I was recently talking about with a client and really understanding some, some basic physiology and, and markers on, on why do we train specific ways and also understanding the importance of um, the physiology and just uh, re- recovery aspect of it. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, why are we training the way we train and then the importance of how you feel going into all those different training sessions. So uh, might not make a ton of sense right now, but I promise once I start explaining it, it'll, it'll become more clear. Uh, in the research review, we're going to talk about high load versus low load strength training. And specifically, we're going to look on training to failure and not training to failure under those two conditions and how that can impact uh, strength and um, um, adaptations. So pretty interesting research there. And then in my bonus section today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, specific recovery strategies. I know I I talk a lot about recovery on the show, um, but I want to just take a little bit of a deeper dive into um, just what recovery means, because sometimes it's just not clear. What are we talking about recovery and what specific modalities can we use to help uh, speed up my recovery and aid in that whole process there. So lots of good stuff to talk about today. Um, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Fitbar, home to some of my favorite grip training tools. I think one of the biggest obstacles that many racers run into is just not being prepared and uh, able to handle all the different types of grip strength that they're going to need in the race. Fitbar does a great job with having a variety of tools to train all the different types of grip strength from pinch to crush to support strength that you're going to need to just dominate these obstacles. And and honestly, they've grown to so much more than just grip training tools. Um, They have full racks and rigs, uh, pulley systems, uh, suspension trainers, and and much, much more there. So head on over to fitbarstrong.com. Uh, check out all their products and definitely add a few items to your home gym uh, and really help out with that with that grip. And uh, don't forget, if you use code OCR Underground, you'll save 10% on your. Today's episode is also sponsored by Venga CBD. Train longer, race harder, recover faster. Uh, Venga CBD uses nanocell technology, which makes it a perfect fit for endurance athletes. Uh, that nanocell technology makes it 500% greater bioavailability than most CBD products out on the market. Uh, they have a, a variety of different products to help support your training and support your recovery, um, whether it's dealing with inflammation and improving sleep, uh, handling anxiety, so a lot of great tools at your disposal. Um, head on over to vengacbd.com slash underground, and on that website, you're going to see a couple different codes to help you save big on your first order. And also today's episode is sponsored by Flex Movement Fitness, uh, home to some of my favorite functional training tools. Great addition to any training program. Specifically, check out their Flex Disc, uh, which essentially gives you the ability to do any 
slider type exercises um, on any surface because they have wheels and don't need to slide on the floor. And then also their flex cords are really cool bands um, that you can use in a variety of different ways. If you head on over to Flex Movement Fitness, and that's movement is M-V-M-T, flexmovementfitness.com, you'll see a bunch of videos of, of all their different tools, um, which are just really fun to add some cool variety into a lot of the exercises that you're probably already doing, but just to spice up your routine and add some different types of, of challenges in there. Uh, so head on over, and if you use code uh, Diebler, my last name, D-E-I-B-L-E-R, you're gonna save 15% off your order. All right, well, let's get into today's episode. All right, let's kick it off with today's Inside Mike's Mind segment. And I'm going to do my best. Uh, This is a a topic I'm passionate about, but it can get a little bit complex. And um, I was having a conversation with a a client, and um, I thought this was worth bringing up. And essentially, the big question is, you know, why do we do what we do? Why, why are we training in a specific way? If we look, you know, back it up even further, why are you working out in the first place? Now, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, right? From the physical to the mental um, to the social aspect that we get from exercise. But if we focus in specifically on performance, because, you know, that's a lot of what I talk about on this podcast. If we look at, I want to get better in some form and, you know, with this audience that we're all part of is, you know, at obstacle course racing. So that is why I train, right? You know, and again, I train for a lot of reasons, but I expect that when I exercise, when I run, when I lift, when I do all these things, that I'm going to perform better. Uh, And I think a lot of times we just assume, hey, if you work out, you're going to get better. And that's just unfortunately not always the case. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you don't really know what you're doing and you do see some improvements and other times not so much. Um, When you're first working out, uh, pretty much anything will work, right? Because you haven't really done anything. You're kind of a blank slate and you start lifting and you start running and your body starts to adapt and you get better at kind of all those things. And we see a lot of improvements um, right out, right out of the gate, you know, especially if you haven't been doing much lately. Uh, but then you you hit a plateau, right? All of a sudden, you're not seeing the same improvements. So, the things I'm going to talk about, if you're new and not not really training regularly yet, uh, don't worry too much about it, right? Just follow a good, solid plan, and you know you're going to see results. And then once you kind of hit that plateau, then we need to take more specific action to get. Uh, adaptations, right? Because that is the name of the game. We are trying to adapt. I have to stress my body and it will adapt. The human body is amazing at this. If you put stress on our system, assuming it's not too much, that'll damage you. But if you if you put the appropriate level of stress, you adapt to it. Um, basically, whenever you do anything, your body is constantly adapting to get better at whatever it is you're doing. If you eat a specific way, you get better at handling those types of foods, right? So think like a ketogenic diet. If you eat a lot of fat, your body gets really good at metabolizing fat. That's how that diet works. Um, If I do a lot of lifting, my body adapts and I get stronger. If I do a lot of running, my body adapts and I become a better runner. So this is what we're trying to accomplish. Now, once you've kind of been working out for a while, we need to be more specific, right? We have to look at 
physiology. We have to look at how does the body adapt so I can manipulate my training to get the best adaptation possible specific to my goals. And there's obviously the human body is very complex. Physiology is very complex. Um, And we can go in a million different directions with this. But I think one of the biggest complaints or or you know goals that i'll hear about is i, I want to be a better runner right so even when we look at running how well how do you become a better runner there are a lot of different changes in your body that can lead to better run performance right we can look at biomechanics i can just make you a more efficient runner and that will speed you up um, we can look at um, muscular power and elasticity right your ability to um, absorb and, and put energy into the ground, making you a little more bouncy and, and efficient, again, will make you a better a better runner. Um, we can improve your cardiorespiratory system. We can improve muscular endurance, muscular strength, right? So we can look at all of these things. And like I said, this gets very, very complex, but to try and look at it a little bit uh, more simply, we can look at it as, right, we need to produce energy. You use fuel, like fats and carbohydrates, to uh, produce energy in the muscles so you can run, so you can move, so you can do all of these things. Um, We can look at specific physiological markers to see how efficient some of these processes are. So for example, we might look at something like lactate threshold. So just a real quick review, if you will, of our energy systems. When we use sugar for fuel, right? When we break down glucose, with anaerobic metabolism, we start to create energy and we can do it at very high intensities. So this is when we're when we're running fairly quickly, uh, we are going to be using a lot of sugar for fuel. Um, there is a cost to this and we start, you know, releasing uh, lactate. Lactate gets into the blood and we can use it for more energy and it's not necessarily a waste product, but associated with lactate are other things. We, we see changes in pH, um, you know, more acidity in the muscle. We see hydrogen ions increase and other things that will result in fatigue. So as lactate levels increase, we are going to see that we can only maintain that intensity for so long before things kind of get out of hand and the muscles have to stop producing energy that way and meaning you're gonna have to slow down. So if I can um, handle that lactate better, if I can um, increase the intensity when lactate threshold actually occurs, I'm going to be able to maintain higher running velocities for longer periods of time, right? So if I take an elite runner and somebody who's never run before and we get out there and we start running, you're going to see obviously the elite runner is running much faster but what you're going to see is that they can maintain um, more aerobic energy production right where they're using oxygen and they're using more fat for fuel versus uh, breaking down that sugar increasing lactate and and some of these other byproducts where if i look at that beginner they're right out of the gate they're going to be huffing and puffing they're going to be running much slower they're going to be burning a much higher percentage of carbohydrates which means they're going to be increasing that lactate Uh, much, much quicker, right? So two extremes, but just so you can see, this is what we're trying to change when we look at our training. So that's the ultimate question is, I wanna be a better runner, so what can I specifically do to help in this process? So yes, you go run and you should get better to a point. But like I said, once you've kind of hit that plateau and you're not really seeing the same improvements anymore, we're gonna be more specific. 
And we don't just want to be a better runner necessarily. I want to be a faster runner and I want to be faster for longer. I want to be able to maintain those higher speeds for a longer period of time. Right? But we know the higher intensity you go, the less you can maintain that speed, right? I can only sprint for so long. So what specific things can we do or manipulate in our training to help improve it? And, and I use this just, again, trying to simplify it. Let's just look at our lactate threshold because this is one of the indicators of endurance performance, right? So if I can have my lactate threshold occur at a higher intensity, right? If I'm running faster like that elite runner, this is going to make it better and better for me, right? So some things we can do to improve this is once I, I one, I need to understand, well, what is my lactate threshold? So you can get VO2 max testing done and figure out this very specific number. Um, you can do some time trials and there's estimations and calculations you can use on um, online. So it's at least giving you kind of a starting point to, to work with and then you can adjust as needed. Um, you know, but essentially this is going to be the, your max pace that you're going to maintain for, for about 20 minutes, um, in a, in a more elite or experienced runner, it's going to be a little bit less for, for somebody who's new. Um, but we can run a time trial and again, just get an idea of what, what's, what's the pace you can maintain, what's the heart rate you can maintain. So then we know that's about what your lactate threshold would be. Um, so we, we get that, that starting point. All right, so now once I have a rough idea of where this, this lactate threshold occurs, um, I can base my training around that number. So I wanna do some things that will um, delay lactate from accumulating. So what I can do is I will actually train low intensities. So if I focus more on aerobic-based training, it will get me more and more efficient at aerobic metabolism, which means I'm going to use fat for fuel a lot better. And this is one of the common adaptations you see in endurance athletes. They're just much better at utilizing fat for fuel and they can maintain that at higher intensities. Cause we know that the higher intensity you go, the more your body's gonna prefer to use sugar. It's much easier to support that type of intensity. But the more efficient you get, um, the more you're going to be use, utilizing fat for fuel, which means we're going to use less and less sugar. So we can save that for later on in the race or in my training um, and use it at the end when I want to sprint to the finish or, or whenever. So low, uh, low intent, lower intensity aerobic based training. So this is a point when you're maybe just out of breath is going to be a great way to increase that um, uh, fat metabolism efficiency and uh, help prevent lactate accumulation. So this is just tricky for some people because they don't, they think every time I run, I need to run as far as I can and as hard as I can. We just know that's not, that's not true, right? We definitely need to include some type of low intensity, regular training to improve aerobic metabolism. We can also look at, well, I need to be more comfortable at my lactate threshold. Cause you know, as we increase the intensity, sometimes it's, it's not just the buildup of these byproducts, right? It's that starts the process, but we have sensors all over our body that tell our brain, hey, something's going on. And in the beginning, these sensors are very loud and they will speak very clearly that you're doing something very uncomfortable and it hurts and you should probably stop. And your brain's gonna start to talk to you. That little voice is gonna come out and say, hey, this is hard, I'm really uncomfortable and I don't think I wanna do this anymore. Um, so we can quiet that voice down just by putting ourselves in this position more often. So the more you can expose yourself to this discomfort, 
right around that lactate threshold, the more and more comfortable you'll get and the quieter and quieter those alarms going off will be. Right? So the more time we spend at this, hopefully we're going to start pushing that lactate threshold a little bit higher. But the first step is I just want you to be comfortable, as comfortable as possible here. So we're going to include uh, training that will get you right at or maybe slightly below your lactate threshold. Right? So we need to find paces that um, are right around where that, that uh, threshold is or are pretty close to it. So you'll see like these are more tempo runs, so kind of like your race pace training. Um, I like to do fast finishes where we kind of start the run at a more aerobic pace and then we finish the last 10 minutes or so at a uh, lactate threshold type pace. So these are all great or longer duration intervals, um, you know, that last several minutes. These are going to be great, great ways to kind of push our threshold, get us more comfortable in this situation here. Uh, and then finally, we have to look at our high intensity. We, we need to get above this threshold because we want to push it to higher and higher intensities, right? So I want my threshold to happen at a higher heart rate and uh, to happen at, at faster running paces. So I need to expose myself to above my lactate threshold. So these are going to be your, your, you know, your straightforward uh, HIIT workouts where we're doing hill sprints, you know, sprints. Uh, whatever kind of intervals you want to throw in there, but they have to be shorter duration. So we're looking at like 30 seconds to maybe two minutes um, because I need to make sure the intensity is high enough. And I know that I'm just not going to maintain a high enough intensity for, for much longer than that. So if you're new to it, you stick to 30 seconds at pretty close to maximal intensity. And then you, you might expand out to about two minutes or so. And then we want a, a fairly good long recovery so we can continue to hit those high intensities. If you noticed, um, you know, one of the big things I try and have my clients focus on is, you know, look at your pacing uh, or distance covered, whatever you're tracking in those intervals. If I see the, you know, if we're running 10, 30 second sprints and there's a huge difference between my first and my last one, um, that's telling me I might not be recovering enough in between each one. You know, obviously there'll be a drop off. It's not going to be perfect, um, but I don't want to see this huge change um, from one interval to the next. I want relatively consistent pace. So if you need longer and longer recovery periods in order to accomplish that, that's okay. Um, but the whole idea here is hitting those high intensities so we do start to push those lactate thresholds. And, and really, you know, I no one of these is better than the other. You need to be varying it up um, strategically so you are doing a little bit of each. I do some workouts at low intensities. I do some um, right at my threshold. I do some above my threshold. And I have a nice balance there with all the different types of, of running workouts to really support what I'm trying to do, which is ultimately run faster for longer. We just do it in a variety of different ways. So hopefully that at least gives you a, a good idea on, on that aspect of it. Now, before I finish up here, I do want to talk about there is the other piece of, you know, recovery and the, the psychological aspect of it. So this is not a perfect system. It's not an exact science. It is science, but it's not exact. Um, we're doing the best that we can. Uh, so I do have to keep in mind your how you feel, right? Your your you know kind of review of of how your body is doing. Some days you're not going to feel it. Other days you're going to feel awesome. And you know I had a client um, ask me about this, where you know when I am prescribing specific training zones, we have a range that we're trying to hit. So if I'm trying to hit you know, a zone five, very intense, intense run, I, I'm going to give you a range that your heart rate should be in, a range that your running pace should be, and we're going to try and get somewhere in that range. Um, and then, you know, all through all for our low intensity as well. And he had the question that what if I can run faster than that? 
And I do have to say it, it, it depends, right? So if, if we're at a high intensity pace and you feel like you can go even faster, you know, zone five is basically as hard as you can go. So if, you know, the pace that we set was a, a, a six minute pace and you're like, I can definitely hit 545, as long as it's something we can continue to maintain that I want you to hit that pace. Now, if I'm saying, hey, I want us in zone two, I want this to be more of an aerobic, I, I want you to be careful because if we push too hard, even if you're feeling good, I know you can run faster than that, but that's not the goal of that specific workout. So we just have to keep that in mind that yes, sometimes you're gonna feel good and you're gonna run faster, and but sometimes I don't want you to. So we just have to remember what's the goal, what's the purpose of this workout. So the more you do this, the more you understand when are you running too hard, when are you maybe not running hard enough, and it, it gets um, a little bit more specific to your, your situation there. And then we have to keep in mind there's the, the you know the psychological piece to some days you're just not feeling it and we have to we can't ignore that right like sometimes it's easy to think well i'm just being lazy and and uh you know i, I need to push through it and sometimes you do right sometimes you're just talking yourself out of the workout because maybe it's hard and you don't want to do it but what if you know you had a rough night's sleep a few a few drinks the night before you know super stressed at work all of those things add up it's more and more stress on the body so we we have to take that into account um, and some days I will say, hey, hit the lower end of your range. You know, today's not the day to set a PR and that's okay. We're gonna get through the workout. Let's focus a little bit more on what we can do to recover. And then we're gonna, next time we hit this workout, hopefully we're gonna be on the higher end of that range. So we have to take all this into account. So I know it, this is a complex thing that we're talking about, that the human body is super complex, but I just want you to keep it in mind and, and hopefully giving you the, the whole idea that we're trying to train specific things with everything we do. We're not trying to simply work out to work out. So always have that, the specific goal we're trying to reach in mind, and then we'll, you know, uh, modify as needed, but we're not just working out to make it a hard workout and, and just hope that I'm going to get better one day. All right, well, let's get into some research next. So we're gonna talk about a really interesting study. This is from the Journal of Strength and Conditioning where we looked at, or they looked at high loads versus low loads. So, you know, heavier weight versus lighter weight and then training to failure or not training to failure. And I know I've talked about this in the past, um, but I just thought this was a definitely a, a unique study. So they looked at eight weeks of training. So they they broke the uh, the subjects into four groups and had them train uh, for eight weeks on a on a basically they all did the same the same thing. They just had different protocols over the eight weeks. So um, and really all they did was one exercise. They did a unilateral knee extension, right? So like a leg extension machine. Uh, on one leg and they were like i said broken up into the four different groups so they had uh reps to failure with a low load um and this uh, was about 35 reps so you can get an idea um, 35 reps and they were using about 30 percent of their one rep max right so they figured out their one rep max 30 percent and on average they're getting about 35 reps per set um, they did repetitions to failure with a uh, high load and this ended up being about 80% of their one rep max, and they were hitting about 12 reps per set. Uh, and then they had rep repetitions to not failure with a low load. So again, using that 30%, um, they just didn't have them go to failure and they were hitting about 20 reps per set. And then they had repetitions not to failure with a high load. Uh, again, 80% of their one rep max, and they were hitting about 
just under seven reps on average per set. So those are the four groups. Uh, two, training to failure, one with a, high, a low load, one with a high load. Two groups training not to failure, one with a low load, one with a high load. And they looked at a, a bunch of different things. They wanted to look at muscle size of the quads to see did they get better. They wanted to look at, at strength. All the different things to see was there any difference um, with these to uh, with these uh, four different types of protocol that they went through. So let's look specifically at what they found. So if we look in terms of strength levels, um, the group that did the high loads saw uh, pretty significant increases in strength. So the high load group that trained to failure saw a 33.8% increase. The high load that did not train to failure saw a 33.4% increase. Um, in compared to the low load group, they saw the one that trained low load to failure saw a 17.7% increase, and the low load not to failure saw a 15.8% uh, increase. So uh, they all got stronger, but we can see the high load, both groups definitely significantly stronger than the low load groups. Um, when they look at muscle size, so who, who got the biggest muscles doing this type of protocol, um, the high load uh, reps to failure saw an 8% increase in muscle size. The high load group that did not train to failure saw a 7.7% increase in muscle size. Um, the low load rep to failure saw a 7.8% increase and then there was uh, no significant change, although they did see a little bit of a change in the low load reps not to failure. There was a 2.8% increase in in muscle size. So um, what all these numbers mean, it's it's pretty interesting. So yes, we see the high load group um, got bigger and got stronger. So lifting heavier does do that. But you know, we, we often hear like, if you want to get, you know, big, you need, you need those high loads, uh, lower rep type schemes, um, which, yeah, so that's showing there's, there's some truth to that. It increases strength, it increases size. Um, but what's interesting is the other group, the low load group did see increases in muscle size. So you can get bigger with lower, as low as 30% of, of your one rep max. So that's fairly light, right? If you can lift a hundred pounds, that's only 30 pounds you'd be doing. Um, so if you're not comfortable in high load situations, you can still benefit from low load. Um, the main issue is we typically see better results for strength and for size if we're using near rep failure sets. So if you're going to choose lower load uh, strength exercises and you're looking for an increase in strength and you're looking for an increase in muscle size you definitely want to get closer to training to failure with those sets training to not failure is just not going to have the same benefit uh, the other interesting aspect of it is when you look at the numbers of the high load groups so training to failure and not training to failure they're pretty much identical right there's there's not a big difference right we see for muscle strength a 30 3.8 versus a 33.4. So basically the same increases in strength, training to failure, not training to failure. Muscle size, we see 8.1 versus 7.7. Um, and actually the low load, we saw 7.8. So actually we saw an bit better increases in muscular size with the low load training to failure versus the high load training to not failure, uh, which is kind of interesting there. 
So what does that ultimately mean? Sure, you can train to failure, but you don't have to. And there's probably less risk with just about the same benefit to not training to failure. Just think it's always quality over quantity. I would much rather see really good reps and you could still do one or two reps and stopping um, or uh, versus doing it all out as hard as you can and us risking you get hurt at some point. So, um, so pretty straightforward study. I just thought it was really, really interesting. So again, looking at the reps that they did, so the high load to failure versus uh, not training to failure, we saw 12 versus seven. Um, so just to give you an idea of what we're talking about and with that low load, about 35 reps to failure. So again, just to, to keep that in mind, if you're gonna be training to failure versus not failure, it seems to be more beneficial to train to failure using low loads uh, versus high loads. If I am gonna use high loads, uh, it's probably gonna be you know, best to not train to failure there, leave a few reps in the tank, um, but um, you know, still uh, consistently exposing yourself to those higher loads is just a little bit safer if you do seem to suffer from, from injuries um, it's probably going to be worth it to stick away, uh, stay away from training to failure with those those high loads. All right, well, let's head into our bonus section for today's episode, and I'm going to talk about uh, recovery, which I know I've talked about before, but I thought um, we need to take a little bit of a deeper dive and talk about what recovery means, you know, and what are the different types of tools we can use? Because it, it, again, like we've been talking a lot about in this episode, the human body's complex and um, there is not always such a simple explanation. So if we're gonna look at recovery, we're basically talking about fatigue, right? So you're going under some form of fatigue and you cannot perform at your highest level, so we need to do something to get you back, right? So sure, time will help in all of this. And obviously, if you just give it enough time, you shouldn't be fatigued anymore and you can recover again and you know perform. But we know there are, you can, this is not, this does not have to be a passive process. There are many active things we can do to speed up this process so we can recover as quickly as we can so I can get back to, to training as fast as I can, right? Because the, the more times I can train, the more exposures I have, the more ad adaptations my body will undergo, so the better I will perform. But if I'm not recovered, I won't be able to train as much, I won't be able to train as hard, and I won't be getting the results that I'm, I'm working for. So what causes fatigue, I guess, is really the next question. And um, trying to simplify this and boil it down into kind of three categories that um, our body fatigues from, or essentially what happens after we work out that causes us to not be able to perform immediately, you know, the next day or an hour later after your workout was over. So the, the three categories I like to look at it, there's, there's like metabolic fatigue where we have all these metabolic products, uh, from the uh, workout, from energy production that start to build up. I've already talked about lactate and, and hydrogen ions and, and things like that. So we have, you know, there's a, a, a cost to, to doing business, right? There's a cost to, to exercise and we have to clear up some of those things, right? There's inflammation and, and things like that. So there's this metabolic disturbance, uh, that we need to take care of in order to 
recover and perform again. Uh, the second car uh, um, category would be central nervous system, right? So our, our brain and our central nervous system controls all of the activity in our body, all of the movement of our muscles. If there is uh, that nervous system disruption or fatigue, that will reduce our ability to perform. Um, and then finally, there's just muscle damage, right? When you lift or when you run long period of time, you damage the muscle and it has to repair or you can't recover. So um, those are the three kind of big categories that I like to lump in all of the things that would you need to recover from. Now, depending on the workout you did, you may experience one a little bit more than the other, right? Maybe I do like some heavy lifting and I'm going to have a lot more maybe central nervous system fatigue and muscle damage, um, but not as much metabolic buildup based on the type of workout. So um, I would want to focus on recovering those two aspects. Um, or I might have a workout that I kind of got a little bit of everything, right? It was a tough workout. I had some muscle damage. I had some, you know, central nervous system fatigue. It was just stressful. And um, I definitely had some metabolic, you know, buildup and, and waste products from all the energy production that was going on to support the workout. So I, I think you might fall into all the categories. You might fall in one. Um, and the modalities that we treat each of these, there's definitely some overlap. But it helps if we can kind of target one uh, over the other. So just to give you kind of an overview of, of some of the things that, that we could potentially work on based on each of these different categories. So let's say it's more of like an energy production type of, of you know, metabolic buildup, and that's why I'm fatigued. Maybe I was doing some high intensity interval training, um, you know, a lot of lactate, you know, my muscles were burning, um, you know, that type of fatigue from my workout. So we need to, uh, clear out and get as much blood flow throughout the body as, as quickly as we can. So we have our heart, obviously, that pumps blood to the muscles, um, but we don't have another heart or you know something in the muscles necessarily to pump the blood back. Uh, what we rely on is changes in pressure and, and movement, right? So as your bodies move, it will help push the blood back to the heart. So it's, it's really easy to get, get the blood out, a little bit harder to get the blood back in. So you might see something like somebody laying down with their feet up on the wall, right? Because we know when you're standing up, gravity is pulling everything down. So simply by elevating your feet, it's helping get that blood out of the legs uh, back to the heart a little bit quicker. So that, that would be a recovery method, right? We're just helping that out. Uh, I think the, the easy, or actually there's quite a few really easy things you can do to help with this process. Uh, number one is making sure you're cooling down, right? So after every hard workout, especially like running workouts, are you just, you know, you do your last sprint and then you, you go and you're done. That's it, right? You leave the gym or just go home. Uh, well, hopefully not, right? Hopefully you, you go five to 10 minutes and we do low intensity walking, jogging, you know, just something easy to continue that muscle pump to help get that blood flow back to the heart, to help clear out those metabolic waste products as fast as possible. So I think that's probably the easiest and most effective thing you can do is making sure you're adequately cooling down after every workout. To add to that, doing a little bit of foam rolling, massage work after your workout's gonna be helpful as well, right? You can actually help get that fluid moving around just by rolling around on a foam roller using a massage stick, uh, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be digging in with the hardest foam roller you can. It could be nice, easy rolling, just trying to get that uh, that movement 
Um, compression gear, this is kind of where compression gear shines, uh, you know, using that to, again, just help get that blood flow back. So, you know, whether you're wearing it during your, during your workout or it's something you put on afterwards, obviously that's going to be helpful to speed up that recovery there. And then, you know, simple things like water, um, electrolyte replenishment, you know, all the disruptions there that we caused, that's going to be helpful. So these are all super simple things you can do um, if that's the specific type of recovery that you're looking to improve. Um, as we move on to central nervous system, so now we're looking at that parasympathetic versus sympathetic balance, right? So when we exercise, we're very sympathetic, assuming it's high intensity exercise. So our goal is to get, you know, a little bit more parasympathetic activity um, as quickly as we can after the workout. Now, the a few things we can do here, I think here's where you see a lot of, you know, cold water immersion, cold contrast therapy. That'll also help with that blood flow, you know, when you do that contrast therapy. But cold exposure is, is something kind of shock the system. We get a little bit of a, a peak in sympathetic, but as we recover, we see that parasympathetic activity increase. So, um, both hot and cold can be effective here. And I think mixing up is important. Too much cold exposure or too much hot exposure, just like anything else, it's going to lose its effectiveness if that's that's all you're doing. Um, so some type of, of hot, cold therapy would be a, a nice thing to, to increase that parasympathetic activity. Um, low intensity training, right? There's a lot of research on just doing low intensity training, whether, you know, that day, you know, kind of build off the cool down, or this could be the next day, right? That's why it's good to do like high low training, we did high intensity, next day, we do low intensity, because low intensity can actually uh, boost that parasympathetic activity. So another simple thing we can do to help with the central nervous systems recovery. And then and probably the easiest and, and where I would most likely start would be breath work, right? We know our breathing is our, our window into the nervous system. So we can directly control the parasympathetic nervous system um, just by doing breath work, you know, controlled breath holds and, and deep diaphragmatic breathing. And, and obviously we can spend hours and hours talking just about breath, but I think just being mindful and working on breathing or meditating, you know, all of these things have been shown to be uh, effective for boosting that parasympathetic activity. Uh, and then finally, our last piece, that muscle damage, you know, here's one, it just kind of depends on how bad it is, but sometimes time is just a piece of it. It takes time for muscles to recover. So if you're very sore, just know we need time, right? That's going to be our best effort is to let the muscles heal um, before we stress them out again. So um, unfortunately, you know, there's things we can do that'll help, but it's not like we can, you know, you know, speed things up too fast. There's, there's always going to be time needed to repair a damaged muscle, right? Even little micro tears that we, we uh, uh, incur during, during strength training. Uh, but I think a, a couple of the big things is really number one is sleep, right? Because then we have to look at, well, when is the most common time for your muscles to be repaired? And it's going to be during sleep. So making sure you are paying extra attention to getting enough deep restful sleep um, to, you know, increase growth hormone production and things like that. So uh, getting, getting good sleep is going to be probably the most important thing you can do here. And then supporting, you know, with nutrition you know, getting enough protein, branched chain amino acids, collagen protein, you know, getting a wide variety of good quality protein and amino acids in to help support that growth. Um, that's that's going to be critical here. So um, those are going to be all, all important things, you know, and anti-inflammatory uh, methods, you know, again, that could be cold, that could be 
um, you know, certain foods and supplements and, and lots of things that will control inflammation. But remember, inflammation is needed. There's going to be, uh, it ha it's playing a role. We just want to keep it under control and, and monitor it. And, you know, if we can speed it up a little bit, it, it could be helpful in, in aiding in that recovery process. So hopefully that all makes sense. Um, I, I really, you know, I love playing around, you know, with, with different training methods, but I also love playing around with different recovery methods to help support your training. So um, I just wanted to break it down into kind of simple things you can do based on the type of training that you did. And, and really it might boil down to just make sure you change it up, right? Don't always do the same thing, right? Try try different recovery methods to, to help in this whole process because I know a lot of people, they love that cold exposure. Um, they love the sauna, you know, they love really, you know, playing with the temperatures and, and that's great, but I do think it loses its effectiveness if that's all you do. So, so mix it up just like your training. So we're not kind of plateauing out with our recovery tools there. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 90. I'm going to have to get out of here and, and get my travel plans all set, my COVID test packing and, and all that fun stuff so I can head out to uh, Jamaica. But as always, I hope you found this episode helpful. If, if you did enjoy it, make sure you subscribe to the show and, and please give a rating and let me know uh, how you like the show. Uh, again, I want to thank our sponsors. Make sure you check them out and uh, check out all their amazing products. Head on over to uh, fitbarstrong.com, uh, flexmovementmvmtfitness.com, and vengacbd.com slash OCR underground uh, or just head on over to the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 90 and you'll find all the links plus all the coupon codes so you can save some money if you're interested in any any of their products uh, well that's it for now until next time keep training smarter <laughs>